Bonjour, dear listeners, and welcome to Defense, the conversation about defense you never knew you always wanted to have. I'm at DSCI in London today, and I am back sitting down with John Pentreath, who you might recall was already a guest of mine at UDT in May back in Germany. And well, he was such a good guest the first time around that unfortunately for him, I asked him to join me again to have a little, to discuss together how we felt about DSCI. Hi, John. Alex, it is lovely to see you again, and thank you very much for inviting me back onto your podcast. Well, thank you for accepting. I mean, I know it's not always a very natural exercise, but uh, you did really, really well the first time. It was a pleasure. Well, you made it easy. Good. <laughs> so, you know, as I said, we're here in DSCI, and I have to say, I mean, I've only done three, right? 2017, 2021, and this one. And I think this is the busiest I've ever seen it. So it is definitely the busiest it's ever been. We have broken all of our records in terms of number of exhibitors and um, footfall of, of people coming to the event. Um, and yes, we're judging ourselves against 2019, which was the, the last pre-COVID year. So the previous biggest one was clearly 2021 with COVID was slightly smaller. Um, and we have, uh, as I say, more exhibitors. We're in almost 1,600 exhibitors. There's a waiting list to get in here so every inch of floor space is taken that, that can be taken by exhibitors and visitors on Tuesday so the opening day of the event were I think 29% up on 2019's figures oh, wow. and yesterday Wednesday was 33% up on 2019's figures and so yesterday was the busiest day with, with people here that we've ever had in, in the history of DSCI. Somehow I'm not surprised. I mean, as we were saying before off the record yesterday, there were moments where I was trying to walk down the halls and this is Excel London. So it's we're not talking small space. And I just couldn't. There were so many people around. It was absolutely crazy. It's been slightly crazy. And actually, what's interesting. So in 2021, when the numbers were inevitably down, yeah. the exhibitors, many of them said that whilst numbers are down, the conversations were very rich. Mm. Um this year, the numbers are up, but the conversations, I'm told, are equally rich. And, yeah. and so it's not just people sort of wandering around the space. It's the right people talking to the right businesses um, and, you know, lots of, of good conversations happening, which is fantastic. Do you think that's due probably to Ukraine, to the situation in Ukraine? So, so without any shadow of doubt, the, the you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has raised the stakes in the whole defense and security environment. And I think as we spoke about in, in Rostov, um, you know, what once was quite a difficult subject and, and not many people wanted to talk about it, suddenly people realized how important defense and security is. You know, it's a critical aspect that allows peace and prosperity to, to, to grow. Yeah. Um, and so without any shadow of doubt, the, the Ukraine situation has um, had an impact on numbers and on the conversations that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't personally talked too much about Ukraine, but yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that people are really engaging into that sort of conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, we have a Ukrainian stand here for, for the first time, and I think they've been um, having, you know, doing good business. It's their exporting um, arm mm -hmm. uh, and um, they've you, know, you walk past their stand and it's full of people all of the time. Yeah, I imagine it must be full of journalists as well, trying to glean information on what's going on there and how they're coping and everything. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I think they're coping amazingly, aren't they? Uh, and 
Um, you know, we've just seen it this week with the the attacks upon the Russian Navy in Sevastopol, mm -hmm. um, which is exactly the sorts of things they need to do to regain their territory. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I mean, there are many things that really struck me on this on this edition of the show, but is the number of countries that are represented as well, right? So it's a truly global event. Yeah. And we have over 38 international pavilions. And, and by an international pavilion, I mean a group of companies from from that particular country sort of grouped together. And then you've got the bigger stands. So, for instance, Saab from Sweden have got a huge stand, but also um, represented in, in the Swedish um, pavilion mm. and so 38 international pavilions and then we've had delegations literally from all over the globe um, I think over 70 international delegations senior governmental delegations and, and so yeah a truly global event um, with hopefully a global impact on, on security and stability yeah and we also have the band that just <laughs> we also have the band just to provide a little bit of background music for your podcast it's very funny I've been um I, I've been introducing many of the keynote yeah. um, addresses by by the senior senior folk, and the head of the army here, the chief of the general staff, General Sir Patrick Sanders, um, was literally just about to get on stage to give his his keynote presentation on Tuesday. I think it was. I think it was Tuesday. Um, and the band struck up outside. And in the, the forums where the presentation takes place, there's lots of, you're on silent disco headphones. Mm -hmm. So so whilst the the audience couldn't really hear the band, yeah. the general clearly could, and the band was being picked up on the microphone and going through all the headphones. <laughs> what a grand um, entrance. And I think I managed to convince him it was an army band rather than a Royal Marine band. So, uh, so okay. he was responsible for it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, then the other thing that also um, really caught my attention is, so I'm specialized in naval matters, and it's true that the first time I came in 2017, I was asked at the time by, uh, by my boss to look at all the naval stuff, and I thought, well, this is, I'm not sure I can stay here three days. There was a bit, because it's tri-service, but it wasn't very impressive. 2021 was what it was because of yeah. COVID. This time around, I am amazed at the naval space of the show. It's massive. It is. So, yes, and it's, it's been at 100% sort of full for yeah. many, many months now. Um, and, and then, I guess, have you got, managed to escape out of the building onto the dockside? Yes, just about today. So, so a good array of warships out there as well. And that's, that's, again, one of the things which makes DSCI unique amongst these, these global shows um, is the fact that there's water next to it mm -hmm. and warships come to it and you know the, the display sort of continues out, outside the exhibition hall and you know lots of companies exhibiting on the ships yeah. fundamentally so some of the naval um, maritime um, displays are on board yeah um, with real live so sailors able to talk talk um, people through yes um, the equipment yeah so yeah, yeah great <laughs> and uh, and it's not just the showing up. I mean, what also, I my my mailbox was full with news, with announcements, with MOUs, with we're launching this technology, that technology. Yeah. So so part of it is is government to industry, yeah. Um, and governments to industry. So so around the world, 
governments are here and talking to companies, but a lot of it is the business business conversations. And mm -hmm. so, as you say, joint ventures announce MOUs, cooperation agreements, mm -hmm. and, and you can't keep up with the news during the week, actually. We, we sort of need to provide a resume, maybe, <laughs> at the end of the week, yeah. with, with a list of the things that have been announced and the cooperation and, and agreements that, that are going on. Um, and, and yeah, that sort of brings the international nature. I've literally just been hosting um, a keynote by the Japanese admiral in charge of their, their naval um, development and, and um, um, equipment support area. Um, and, and, you know, our relationship with the Japanese is extraordinary, considering we live on opposite sides of the world. Um, but we're, you know, similar countries with similar outlooks and um, similar problems. And so you can't see it through the window here, but literally just outside where we're talking now, the GCAP stand, the Global Combat Air Programme yeah. um, between Japan, UK and Italy and hopefully soon other nations. Um, it's just a, one example of that cooperation amongst the like-minded um, countries, nations in this unstable world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. So I've talked a lot about what was, you know, striking me from this from this show. What about you? Anything in particular? Any technology in particular? Oh golly, there's been so much. I think what really strikes me is how sore my feet and legs are, yes. <laughs> having walked almost continuously for three days now. Um, I mean, as we spoke about in in Rostock, the the rise of autonomy. Mm. Um, everywhere you look are autonomous systems um, and not just airborne autonomous systems but on the ground in the in the sea and under the sea mm -hmm. and, and so that's a trend which I think has been sort of turbocharged by Ukraine yeah. um, and, and the development time I think that's one of the you know sort of aspects for me is how quickly that development is happening yeah. um, and a, a sort of need I, I guess by governments and militaries to speed up the procurement process and to take the latest innovations and get them into service much more quickly than has happened in the past. Um, so that some, some of the really interesting things are sort of not really visual. You don't see them walking around. It's, it's in the conversations and the, um, so, some of the, um, I guess, some of the presentations and the, the plenary sessions where you know, the whole data AI, which again we spoke about in Rostock, yeah. is is not great to exhibit. Mm. You know, there's not much to see. Exactly. But it's critically important, and the the speed of that um, sort of, um, I guess you you you've got the the hard platform side, which is working on a slightly slower cycle. You know, ships are going to be around for for thirty forty years. Yeah. Armoured vehicles are going to be around for 30, 40 years, but it's the bits inside them which need to, to spiral develop so much more quickly than they have done in the past. And, and that's software. And, um, you know, it's probably why I think we've got over 250 companies here who have never exhibited at, at DSCI before. And they're the smaller, medium-sized enterprises, and particularly in, in the, the software data, um, those sorts of areas, um, with not much to show. But lots of conversations to have. Yeah, and I, mean, I imagine they must have quite a bit because I am currently researching an article on communications underwater, and 
I, in my conversations with people, when I'm doing my research, I hear a lot about we've partnered up with this smaller company or with this bigger company, of course, depending on who I'm talking to. Uh, there were a few announcements of that as well, of bigger OEMs, you know, buying smaller startups to, to get their technologies, their software. And very often it's exactly what you just said. It's the software, it's the AI algorithm, it's anything that enables the autonomy, the convert, the communications, because without communications, you Absolutely. can't. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think so. I think one of the challenges it, here is that um, trying to define the requirements uh, and give a set of requirements to, to industry to come up with the best solution when you don't know what the requirements are and the requirements are constantly changing. And so there needs to be much more of a partnership process between militaries and, and those sorts of industries. And it's you know the traditional procurement model doesn't really work for it. Yeah. So, you know, that is a challenge for, for all sides. It's how to, to square that circle. Now, I don't often have the conversation, unfortunately, actually, with the, with the armed forces, but I hear from the industry side that they really try to, Im to implicate the, uh, the, the, the service they're working with uh, in the design, in the requirements. They try to work together yeah. with these requirements because, because precisely what you said, you know, like, things need to be future-proof to a certain extent. You don't want to be buying new software, new platforms all the time. Is there the same sentiment on the armed forces side? I think definitely. So I think there's the same sentiment, but turning a sentiment into reality exactly. is difficult. Yeah. It's really difficult. And when you have to you know, attach pounds, dollars, whatever, to a contract, where you're struggling to define the requirements for that contract is, is pretty tough. But wouldn't it help to, wouldn't it be also saving money to be working more closely with industry? Because I know that from the industry, there's also very often a big techno push. And then sometimes, you know, I have friends in the, in the French Navy and they're like, we, we don't need all of that. Sometimes they're way ahead of what we're capable of, of what our people can handle at this point in time, the training, that we don't have enough people, so we don't have time to train them for certain systems. So, yeah. so I think, yeah, it's difficult, it's complex, isn't it? Um, and the cleverest brains in the world are outside this room trying to solve that complexity. Yeah. Um, and I think we've seen, well, seeing it here, uh, and probably seen it over the past, year or two, much more cooperation and partnership between between government, militaries and industry. But there's still a tension that, you know, the government is spending taxpayers' money and that is obviously limited. Mm. Um, and the government clearly can't waste taxpayers' money. So, you know, they're trying to to get the best value for money. You've got industry which is commercial and with a you know a bunch of stakeholders, shareholders who are trying to maximize the profit. And so there is a tension there. Mm. Um, and if you're in complete partnership, you sort of lose that scrutiny a little bit, unless someone can come up with a very clever way of, uh, and there are clever ways of, of, of doing it. We've seen some examples of it, the complex weapons pipeline, which has been you know, a government, UK government program um, now for, I guess, getting on for 10 years or something like that, mm -hmm. which sort of you know guarantees work and, and you know the companies involved um, do the innovation and bring new weapons to the to the you know into the system, which fundamentally are already funded, mm. have been funded. So 
Um, then you look at the national shipbuilding strategy, which is trying to smooth out the peaks and troughs of of government procurement and keep a steady rate of orders for for shipyards around the country to so they can maintain their workforce and you know, invest in their workforce rather than having to to make people redundant and then re-employ other people two years later when an order comes in. So so there are lots of initiatives running to to try and bring that um, sense of partnership um, closer, but there are definitely challenges um, involved in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't exactly know how how it works, but I'm just thinking, we, we, and we had this conversation back in Rostock, it's all about also communicating, you know, you're talking about taxpayers' money. I mean, I think the taxpayers don't know well enough how everything that we're discussing here is needed, how it helps also maintain their daily lives and, and protected them. And, and so, you know, poor old Ukraine, one of the benefits of Ukraine is that we see daily on our television screens how important security is. There are, there are regimes out there who want to destabilize the world and, and you know, do not like our, our Western values. And not Western values is the wrong word. You know, it's global values fundamentally, isn't it? Um, and they're trying to destabilize it to to make us poorer in every sense of the word, um, which makes them, I guess, relatively richer in every sense of the word. But, but yeah, it's, it's not what humankind needs or wants. So uh, I think it, it's in some ways, you know, one benefit, it, oh, it's a horrid way of looking at it, but it has made people understand how important um, that, that security is in order to, to let the world prosper. So yeah. in some ways it's easier than it has been. Yes, it's true. And I've also noticed that, and we kind of discussed this at UDT as well, there's no protesters outside. Well, there have been some. Uh, and okay. um, you know, from a clarion point of view, we respect people's right to protest. Um, and as long as they do it legally and obey the law over yeah. protest, so so we have, and, and you know they they have a right to have their voice heard. Um, but I think there have been far fewer than than previous years, um, and you know the optimist in me makes makes me want to think that they understand how important it is in order to enable them to have the right to protest. Yeah, uh, you don't see many protests in Russia at the moment. But we know why. We know why, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so that right to protest is as, as important as lots of other rights. Yeah, no, exactly. As you said, we're all entitled to our own opinion, definitely. But um, yeah, in 2021, when we were here last, I remember even when we were getting out of the show, um, the security guards were like, take off your badges. Don't go on the platform with your badges. Certainly don't go on the DLR with your badges. Whereas this time... No one's blinked, you know, they were like, Oops, I see people who forget them. I mean, we wear them all day long, right? So yeah. you forget to take yeah. them off sometimes. Yeah. No one said anything. So I think I, I want to be on your side as well, being positive and thinking something's shifting yeah. and there's yeah. more understanding of this world. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, well, as I said, you just feel sorry for, for Ukraine and, and the Ukrainian people who are suffering the most terrible, terrible situation at the yeah. moment. Um, uh, and yeah, there's been a lot of talk here about what more we can do to to help Ukraine in order to to help the free world stay free. Mm -hmm. And 
one last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about with you today, um, if I remember correctly, tomorrow is also a day sort of dedicated to people. And this is something, I mean, we, you know, you and I even are somewhat guilty of this, you know, it's, it's easy, maybe even fun, interesting to discuss the toys, the technology and everything. At the end of the day, those are all meant to be enabling people who do their jobs. So it's interesting that Clarence decided to do this. So I think at every event, there's a sort of moment where the exhibition bit side, everybody has, has just run out of steam. And so whatever the last day is, the exhibition side runs out of steam a few hours before that. And I think Claren had recognised that. And so the final day of DSCI, over the last two or three iterations, but, but much more so this year than previously, has been about people. Um, and if you look at some of the policy papers out of the UK government, so the Defence Command paper, which was refreshed in the summer, the first paragraph was about people. Right. Normally, it, it's a sort of add-on at the end of a document saying people are our most important thing. I think the UK government genuinely believes that now. Mm. Uh, and I think people have probably been underinvested in o over the last few years because of the budget challenges, et cetera, et cetera. But as you say, none of this stuff can work without without people and good people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, tomorrow here at DSCI is a people-focused day, a lot on um, the sort of STEM side of things, a lot on on trying to bring good people into defence technology with their young, bright brains. Mm -hmm. um, you know, huge opportunities. Uh, and, um, you know, so it's a, it's a enormous contribution to the economy uh, and we need the brightest young graduates coming into either the armed forces or into defense industry um, in order to to make you know good technology which can be utilized to keep the world safe yeah so it's interesting you said that because i thought it was mostly uh targeted to the armed forces whereas you're saying it's also industry so very, very cliche, but as a woman, I have to ask the question, is there also a panel or something to discuss the fact that there are enough women in scientific programs that can then come and contribute to this? So I, I don't know the exact detail for tomorrow yet. Yeah. I've still got a couple of hours to find that out. <laughs> um, still running on today's program. Um, but yeah, so, so women... And all sorts of you know diversity across the board. It's not just male, female. It, yeah. it, it it's you know color, creed, background, socioeconomic background. I think it's just trying to get the brightest brains mm. in. Mm. And um, you know the armed forces are very focused on it, but I think defence industry equally. And you know the armed forces are not for everybody clearly, mm. um, um, but there's still you know many areas, and it it you know absolutely I think industry is blind to um, gender, you know, any other yeah. aspect. They just want bright, bright people. Yeah. Um, the problem is in male dominated environments, you know, it is quite difficult to break into it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, I'm saying this as a, as a 50 something year old bloke, I think the industry is desperate to, to be more diverse as are the armed forces. And and they're doing so much in order to become, say, you know, it's over my you know, career in the Navy, it just changed dramatically, absolutely dramatically. Um, sadly, you still hear of some bad stories, 
But a lot of those bad stories are actually historical. And I think the culture is, is um, you know, my experience of the culture is that it's, it's changed hugely over the years. And you know, a woman should not be worried about it, scared about it. Um, it it's, I, I don't know, I, I've, I think there's, there's non-equality in lots of other areas. Mm. Um, and, and some of my portfolio sort of touch upon some of those. Uh, and I think the armed forces and defence industry certainly isn't the worst in, in the, the area. There are, there are lots which are worse. And, yeah. and one thing you know, this sector does do is try really hard to be better because it recognises the need to be better. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see tomorrow if there are also uh, these conversations about... Because I, I remember seeing this also about the... Um, the Australian submarine program and uh, and reading an article. Uh, in fact, no, it was a talk from someone in the government saying, I mean, it's so well and good that we're trying to have, at the, at the time it wasn't even gender, but they were saying it'd be, it's so well and good to try to have the skills to say that we're going to build the skills that we're going to build the industry. It was like, we don't even have, I mean, they, they want nuclear submarines and they're like, we don't even have physicists in high school let alone people who will be able to work on a nuclear submarine. So it's kind of the same um, thing for, for women. And, and as you said, like any other, um, I want to say minority, but we're not a minority, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, any other group that is not as included, let's just put it that way. It's, it, it all starts at school, doesn't it? So it starts at school. Uh, and I'm just convinced that, that uh, and yeah, in, in the, the Western world, girls, stay in school and, and perform as well, if not better than boys, and that's brilliant. But in lots of the world, um, girls do not stay in school. Uh, and I'm sure many of the world's problems would be solved if, if girls were fully educated to the same level as boys um, and had as much say in the running of the world as men do. Yeah. The world would be a much better place. Well, I'm certainly not going to disagree with that, <laughs> especially as a woman in the defense industry, definitely. Uh, well, John, you've been super patient and, and again, a pleasure to have you. Is there anything to have that you want to add before we say goodbye for today? Oh, goodness, I don't think so. Um, We've covered I can't remember what I've spoken about, so I don't know what I've missed. <laughs> well, I think you've done really, really good. So, um, again, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's a pleasure. And maybe next year, UDT again? Well, and next year, UDT is in the same building. So exactly. it's in London um, in April next yes. year. Well, thanks very much, John. It's been a pleasure. And enjoy the rest of the show. Alex, thank you. It's been lovely to see you again.